Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to May of Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you and put this day in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Somewhere lost in the midst of time, some journalists invented the what keeps you up at night storyline. For me, it's usually back pain or migraine pain, frankly, which feels a lot like today's horrific decline. Dow plunging 473 points. S&P losing 1.65%. NASDAQ nosediving 1.96%. Although those numbers, I have to tell you, were well off their lows. But that's not what the press wants to hear. They, they want to spin disaster scenarios so they can say, this is what's really worrying Jim Cramer. And after today's brutal slacking, I'm willing to actually play that game. You want to know what would keep me up at night if I wasn't already in unbelievable physical agony and I'm up at 3 a.m.? I'm afraid of a one-two punch that the market might not be able to handle. Punch one was telegraphed over the weekend when President Trump told us he wants to raise his tariffs on $200 billion worth of Chinese imports from 10 to 25 percent, effective at 12.01 a.m. Friday. If he goes through with that, it's going to be like an uppercut to the face of this market, which is why stocks are already flinching away from it. Punch two, if the Uber IPO breaks the system, meaning it opens too high courtesy of excessive demand from home gamers and then plummets a few minutes later as people who got in on the deal start selling, that's the dreaded IPO pirouette. It's knocked many a bull markets flat on the campus. You heard what I said, bull markets, not just that day. It's a gauntlet. And I'm actually concerned that it must be traversed before there can be a firm footing, or at least the firm footing that we had before the tweets that rock stocks worldwide. Now, I don't want to get into the politics of the trade war with China. Let others do that. Whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, the fact is that the stock market hates it. I can tell you why Wall Street might be wrong, but I'm not going to change any minds. At the end of the day, you've got economists and consulting firms coming out of the Woodbrook right now talking about how these tariffs could really wreck the economy. I heard a number say 934,000 jobs to be lost. USA Today said it reported that they could cost the average family $767 a year. To me, those numbers seem astoundingly high. Don't get me wrong. Higher tariffs are definitely an incremental negative for the economy. Everybody knows that. But business in this country is so strong. You know what? I actually think the pain will be easy to digest. Right now, though, what matters is that Wall Street is terrified, just terrified. Most portfolio managers want the trade war to end. Instead, it's escalating. So will the market be able to absorb that potential one-two punch of higher tariffs? And a disappointing Uber IPO? Something I have been warning you about for months? It depends. I think we can potentially handle these body blows, but only if we're braced for them, if we expect them. And that means everyone needs to be prepared for a noisy breakdown in the trade talks with China, with a lot of our companies saying, wow, earnings will be hurt, and the possibility of an Uber fiasco, something along the lines of the catastrophic Facebook IPO in 2012. So while I never root for stocks to go lower in anticipation of an event, today's hideous sell-off presents us with a very compelling opportunity that you and I have to talk about. See, it means today what it 
felt like, and maybe that's what happened at three when we started rallying, is that maybe we're starting to form a consensus. A consensus that Friday is going to be awful with the tariffs going into effect at 12.01 a.m. and then the Uber stock rolling over not long after it starts trading as people who get who got shares in the deal quickly flip them into the initial pop. Now, you got to remember, Uber is not some fresh-faced startup. It's an aging unicorn that's been kicking around forever with lots of savvy seasoned investors who are going to find a way to hedge their holdings, which could cause Uber itself to get slammed even harder than Lyft if the underwriters aren't careful. We have a a lot more on how the actual company is doing later in the show, and that's been completely ignored. All we hear about is hot, hot, hot. At the same time, you have to expect that a huge number of people who had positive experiences with Uber might use market orders to buy the stock after it opens, causing it to shoot up unnaturally high because no broker will be able to find enough shares for sale instantly. And that's a worry. You get a big pop fueled by novice investors, which then triggers a wave of profit taking from the professionals. So let's hope that Morgan Stanley, the lead underwriter, has enough extra stock lying around to save all those market orders. The firm has the power to sell up to 15% more stock in so-called green shoe option. That should give them, hopefully, enough firepower to keep the stock down. Morgan Stanley really needs to get this one right, or we're going to, if we're going to avoid that one-two punch scenario, because I think the tariff punch is pretty much unavoidable at this point. Speaking of the trade war, there are three main camps here. We've got to go through them. You've got the people who believe that the People's Republic of China is all-powerful. They have that 200-year time frame, and they don't need to worry about pesky things like elections, which means the Communist Party can implement a consistent policy decade after decade. To them, any trade war with the Chinese, that has to be a mistake because they got the 200-year thing going. Then you've got the permanently pro-Trump camp, the people who think that every little thing he does is magic. The president could say, you know what? I'm Jan, so I'm going to take the next six months off to play golf courses around the world, including mini golf. And they'd be on board. They'd be happy. Uh, they're not sweating some tariffs on Chinese imports. As for me, I fall somewhere in the middle. China does have some advantages, although I think they're really overstated by the media, while its disadvantages are ignored. But at the end of the day, no one denies that the Chinese government has some pretty, truly predatory trade practices. Open your eyes. They don't play by the rules everybody else tends to abide by, and they were supposed to abide by when they got into the World Trade Organization. If there was ever time to confront the People's Republic, I mean, this would be it. I mean, even Schumer says the same thing. Reading Schumer's like reading what the president says. Have you seen that? He, he's Senate, you know, Senate guy, Democrat. We got a 3.2% GDP growth, a ridiculously low 3.6% unemployment right now, and hardly an inflation. We had that in 1969, but we had inflation roaring, 4% inflation back then. Even after today's horrific decline, our stock market's not too far from its all-time highs. If we can't stop to China now, when are we going to stand up to them? I think we can take the pain much better than they can. Remember, they need our economy a lot more than we need theirs, although this is war of attrition, which means both sides get hurt. And guess what? While everybody's freaking out about how much damage and escalation in the trade war could do to our stock market, especially the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it might be less vulnerable than you think. When it comes to China and that industrial average, the White House monitors this thing unbelievably. You got it. They just unbelievable. And what do they talk about? They say, okay, well, look, Apple get hit, uh, Boeing, Caterpillar. They're the three most vulnerable stocks of the Dow. And all three got hit hard today. But Boeing has a healthy backlog away from the People's Republic, 737 max notwithstanding, as well as some terrific defense exposure. Caterpillar is harder to defend. But with Apple's turn towards more of a service-based business model, Chinese iPhone sales, maybe they're going to be less important than they used to be, bottom line. Even after today's huge losses, I am still concerned about what could happen on Friday. So if you haven't taken any profits lately, well, you know what? The positive close today makes me think, you know, it, it, it may be too late to do that. I'm not sure yet, though, on the buy side. Because uh, let's just say, even though we had a bunch of great earnings after the close, I would like to be constructive. But I'm not yet. Because I want to sleep well on Thursday night, assuming my back pain 
won't uh, let me. And I won't be able to sleep unless I'm confident you have some cash on the sidelines so that you're prepared for the aftermath of the China Uber one-two punch that could potentially hurt us. And I want you to be ready to buy, not sell that darn sell-off and I, that I have waited for and preached you about for what seems like forever and a day. Let's take questions. Let's go to Gregory in California. Gregory. Hey, Chad. How are you doing today? Well, I don't know. I had an epidural, candidly. I know that's a little out of oh. nowhere, but maybe I wasn't <laughs> supposed to go to work. But what do you know, well, Look, I really appreciate your uh, daily rundowns for the club. And I, I have to say, I, I hate the action in this market, too. But I do have a question as to whether action like today uh, might present some opportunities. And I'm calling about a stock called uh, Mercado Libra. Uh, M-E-L-I. Oh, I love that one. Kind of Melly? We call it Melly. Yeah. Gregory, it's a great Melly. company. And it has nothing to do with all this uh, you know, craziness that we got going here. If Melly gets hit, I like that one. I think you got a good one there. That's, of course, the eBay of Latin America. And it's I was initial investor in it, by the way. But that was a long time ago when I was allowed to invest. You know what we should do? We should switch to the East. We should go to Nick in New York. Nick! How's it going, Jim? Booyah! Oh, booyah, Nick. Booyah. What's going on? Nothing much. So I'm a senior at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York, and I'm a student analyst here at the Greystone Fund. Recently on your show, you talked about managed care stocks, right. and I wanted to see what you think of Anthem and their ability to capture the Medicare Advantage market share from baby boomers okay. going forward. Uh, look, I like it. You're Mar- you went to Marist? Yes, sir. Shout out to Sharon Kwok, who works for Macy's and Distinguished Garrison. Uh, uh, Garris- uh, Graduate of Maris and also to uh, Michael Haley's boy. I love that school. There we go. Yes, to Robert. Okay, look, here's the deal. We are, um, I don't know. I want to be more bullish. I want to be constructive. I want to be constructive. I want to be constructive. But Anthem is not my fave. I like United Health first, and then I like CBS second because it's merging with Aetna. Anthem would be my fourth favorite after Humana. So I got to say, I, I got to say, Nick, that's not the one I want. All right? There, I just put it out. Don't buy. Don't Even buy. Even though I like him. Let's go to Michael in Florida. Michael! Jim, thank you for taking my call. Of course. Hey, you do so much good for so many people. We really appreciate you for it. Thank you. Hey, uh, my stock is FMC Corporation, uh, the maker of agricultural chemicals like pesticides and herbicides. Uh, It reported yesterday and beat the earnings and revenue estimates, and uh, it raised its full-year guidance on both. Uh, Today closed up over $2.00. And uh, so what do you think of FMC going forward? When you get a stock that goes up two bucks today, Michael, you have a winner. The old Food Machinery Corp, that's what FMC stands for. Who else remembers that other than me? Is a winner. And I want you to hold on to it. Uh, Remember, the ag story is one for the ages. It's not going away. This may be the best way to play it. Really good call. Look at these callers, will you? Great kid from college, a guy who was clearly uh, not necessarily from California, like a macabre Libra. And then the FMC. I haven't looked at the Food Machinery Corp in ages. All right, if you haven't done any trimming, you know what? Let's just call it late. It's late. Uh, it, it would help me it, 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 and you sleep a little easier knowing you've got some cash as we go through the one-two punch of Uber, okay, and the 1201 tariffs, which are probably going to happen. Only money tonight. Normally, I'd like to tell you today is just a huge buying opportunity, but it's a little more complex than that. Then after today's decline, everything expected to come to a head on Friday. Should you pump the brakes on Uber? I'm going to give you a take ahead of the public offering about the actual fundamentals. And the doctor will see you now online. It's coming trying to change the way you visit the clinic, and it could save the system a lot of money. Do not miss my sit down with a very interesting company called Teladoc. 
and stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. You know me. Normally, after a day like today, I tell you, let's time. It's time, time, time to start picking, picking. Searching for cheap stocks to buy into this weakness and do it slowly. But this time, you know what? Why don't we just wait a little? Why? Because there aren't enough safety zone areas yet. Let me explain what I mean. Ordinarily, when we get hit with a brutal sell-off like today, I like to slowly build positions in stocks that fit the new narrative. So if the market tumbles thanks to recession fears or a slowdown, that means you can buy the recession-proof stocks like a PepsiCo or a Procter & Gamble or Estee Lauder, Colgate, all of which had terrific quarters and even better forecasts. I look for some down-and-out healthcare names, maybe Bristol-Myers, now that it's merging with Celgene, maybe HCA after that spectacular earnings report. Then I tell you to buy the bargain-oriented domestic retailers like Dollar Tree or Burlington Stores, TJX, Ollie's. They're all trading down, and they can thrive in a slower economy. But I can't do that this time, because this time I'm not worried about a slowdown. My main fear is that everyone else is going to panic, and I don't think they're done panicking. Not with the president's new plan to raise tariffs on Chinese imports at 12.01 a.m. Friday morning. And as mentioned earlier, I bet this panic could be exacerbated if Uber stock ends up spiking and then rolling over not long after it comes public on Friday. Plus, to be totally honest, many of the stocks I I, I tell you to buy into the teeth of the sell-off, they've already been bid up like crazy, and they haven't come in yet. The consumer packaged goods names are trading at absurdly elevated levels. These stocks have run so much that their dividends no longer offer much in the way of protection. No more trampolines. If you buy them here, you might have to see, well, let's say buy more, because it's quicksand underneath. As for the domestic discount retailers, well, I mean, guess who's right in the crosshairs of the president's proposed tariff hikes? Yep, China makes tons of stuff that you might find at a Dollar Tree or Dollar General. But with the 25% import duty, I'm more likely, uh, let's just say, Dollar Tree and a quarter? Get me? The off-price retailers like TGX, Burlington, Ollie's have a lot of less China exposure. They get the merchandise by taking inventory off the hands of distressed department stores that could be hit by China. But even with them, I think you should wait because you might get better prices. How about a more offensive posture? Maybe you can go with the Cloud Kings? At the moment, they're getting killed. I think the strategy makes sense, but you never buy these turbocharged secular growth stocks after day one of a sell-off. Never! Normally, you need to wait for them to get shelled some more. We're talking late on day two at the earliest. That's tomorrow, people. This time, you might want to even wait a little bit longer because the Cloud Kings are natural sources of funds for any money manager, active money manager, who needs to raise cash to participate in the Uber deal. Source of funds. How about Fang? Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet, my acronym for what's supposed to be turbocharged. These companies have little to no exposure because in China, there's not a lot in. But Facebook and Amazon are both coming off incredible runs. Netflix has too much new competition, think Disney. Alphabet's last quarter was disappointment. Also, they have the same Uber problem as the Cloud Kings. People are going to sell them in order to buy Uber. That's how big the Uber deal is. Now, as I told you at the top, it's possible to run this gauntlet. We just need Morgan Stanley to price the Uber IPO perfectly. 
perfectly, perfectly. Then we only have one big worry, China. And then, you know what? That worry could go away the moment President Trump tweets something encouraging about the trade talks or maybe says, hey, you know what? We're going to put those 25 percent hike. I'm going to give them another three months. And that gives the Chinese a stay of execution. Uh, the average will go right back up. And that's why it's so hard for me to turn against this market after this decline that I've been prepping you for. I want you to take something off the table if we rally big, but not everything because Trump really cares about the stock market. He regards the Dow and the S&P 500 as the truest benchmarks of whether or not he's doing a good job. So if you have another terrible day like today, the president might give Wall Street what it wants and go easier in China. That's why I think it is too late to sell down here. And I am so itching to tell you to pull the trigger, but I want to wait. Remember the silver lining here. The same thing that allows Trump to play hardball with the Chinese, a fabulous economy with 3.6% unemployment, 3.2% GDP growth, and negligible inflation. We'll also make the stock market viable again once the weak hands get shaken out and the panic's done. You just have to wait for the averages to go a little bit lower in a panic mode before you pull the trigger. Stick with Kramer. Coming up, could 1-800-Flowers peddle your portfolio? Kramer stops, smells the roses, and sits down with the CEO. Our vision is to inspire more human expression, connection, and celebration. When Mad Money returns. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. I keep telling you how worried I am about this Uber Technologies IPO, which is expected this Friday. Look, everyone else is terrified by the trade war with China. And here I am fretting about a deal that lots of people are incredibly excited about, a deal that will probably price at the top of the range because there's such strong demand. At least that's what we heard all day. This is looking like it will be the third largest tech IPO in U.S. history behind Alibaba and Facebook. It should only raise about, uh, let's say it's going to raise only $9 to $10 billion. Wow. It's like bigger than all the deals we've had this year for months. Literally months, you know I've been concerned that investors will sell all sorts of tech stocks so they can raise capital to participate in this exciting Uber deal. I fear what might happen if irrationally exuberant investors swoop in and bid the stock up like crazy at the opening using market orders, not limit orders, where you can say, oops, I missed it, only for the darn thing to sell off dramatically as people will get in on the app actual deal start ringing the register in droves, even as they're not even supposed to be able to. Will they try to get around the rules? I don't know. I've seen many of these IPO cycles, and the big deal, the one that everyone's been waiting for, is often where things start going south. Remember, it's been pretty good so far. What about Uber itself? Well, I may not like what this IPO could do to the broader market, and I may be worried about how Uber's stock will behave right out of the gate. That doesn't necessarily tell us anything about, well, you know, the, about the actual company. In other words, if we put all these big picture concerns to the side, is there a price where Uber the stock might be worth owning? Are people right to be excited about this one? Will this be another Beyond Meat? The best performing IPO of the year? Or will it be another Lyft? A real loser that reported a social earnings number or lack of earnings number this very evening. 
After the debacle that was Lyft deal, there are still plenty of reasons to be skeptical about this one. But for better or worse, Uber is not Lyft. You're familiar with Uber's ride-sharing business. I'm sure you are. I've got the app on and I use it all the time. They're the number one player on Earth, operating in 700 metropolitan areas across six continents and hailing 14 million trips per day for their 91 million monthly active users. Now, everyone's got to like that, right? The thing, the, the thing that distinguishes Uber, though, is that it's more than just a ride-sharing service. The pitch here is that Uber's a platform, a platform that's expanding into all sorts of new areas. They've got food delivery with Uber Eats. They've got logistics with Uber Freight. And they keep looking for new opportunities on the platform. There are very big synergies here. About 50% of Uber Eats users were new to the platform in the fourth quarter of last year. And people who use both Uber and, uh, and, and Eats tend to use the ride-sharing app more than twice as often I think the freight business, where they coordinate with truckers so that they never have to waste a trip driving somewhere with an empty truck, I think that could be downright revolutionary and really great for the environment. Now, we had Leo Ron, the CEO of Uber Freight, on the show, and I think he tells a very compelling story. I love that guy. Uber has spent years taking over the ride-sharing business, either via acquisitions or through aggressive internal expansion. They're the undisputed king of this business, and in many ways, I think Uber is the future of transportation. I'm not denying that. However, that doesn't mean it's necessarily a good stock investment. 20 years ago, the Internet was future of commerce. But if you invested in the dot-coms, you ended up getting burned with just very few exceptions. Actually, at the time when the street dot-com came up, there were really only three companies that made it through the shoot. There were 300 that blew up. Why is this better? Well, there's a huge difference between changing the world and turning a profit. Uber is the ultimate unicorn disruptor. Wherever they go, they wreck the taxi business, and they become so successful that I think they push the auto industry into secular decline. That's really positive. But can they make money? Remember that? Let's look at the numbers. Last year, Uber's gross bookings increased by 45% to $49.8 billion. Its revenue rose by 42% to $11.3 billion. Well, we like that, don't we? I, only of the big companies that it's better is uh, Amazon Web Services at 47% growth. Yet the company, Uber, still had $3 billion in operating losses. Now, admitting that's more than $4 billion in operating losses like 2017, but it's not great. A billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon, you're talking about some real money. To make matters worse, Uber's growth is slowing, and it's actually really slowing. They're already experiencing major decel, as they use the word, but it's deceleration in 2018. Their core platform adjusted net revenue grew by 39%, down from 125% the year before. But when you look at Uber's guidance for the first quarter of 2019, the numbers are actually, let's call them downright disturbing. Managers talking about an 18 to 20% revenue growth, and only 7 to 10% growth if you're looking at the core platform adjusted net revenue numbers, which, by the way, is the most important metric. That's a hideous slowdown, isn't it? You ever hear anybody talk about that today? I'm all over it. Like white on rice. How about profitability? Also getting worse. A year ago, Uber's margins were headed in the right direction. Now they're headed in the wrong direction. In the first quarter, they're talking about an earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, or EBITDA margin of negative 27 to negative 31%. That's down from negative 10.8% the year before. Uber's core platform contribution margin, what they make after you deduct the variable costs from their sales, was actually positive a year ago at 18%. But for the first quarter, they're talking about negative 4 to 7, negative, <laughs> negative 4 to negative 7%. How bad is that? Look, this number hasn't been negative since 2016. I am worried that Uber was dealing with a very competitive environment in the first quarter. Promotional environment, which led to a lot of discounts. The last thing you want to hear about with any IPO, let alone any stock. Sure, Uber's got a big brand name. They've got massive scale for an IPO. And we know and respect their management team, led by the CEO, CEO Dara Khosrowshahi, who is so brilliant. 
I love the guy. We love those previous shows. He is so great. We interviewed him when we had Starbucks Roastery. He was the star of the show, frankly. But, man, looking at these numbers. Well, actually, I like the Nestle guy, too. But, look, man, looking at these numbers, what if the ride-sharing business simply isn't that good? Wouldn't that be something? Is anyone talking about that? Consider, thanks to the law of large numbers, Uber's sales growth has decelerated and decelerated dramatically. They're a long way from real profitability. And this is a situation where Uber is only one major competitor, Lyft. The bulls say once they've cemented their dominance, they can raise prices and pay their drivers less. I know I felt that way for a while. But if, if, if that happens, I worry that someone new will come in and undercut them or there'll be some government regulation, right? Some government regulation that'll hurt everybody. Plus, the ride-sharing business is a regulatory nightmare. State and city-level uh, politicians hate the, these guys. They hate them. In fact, New York State just slapped a $2.75 fee on all Uber and Lyft rides in parts of Manhattan, a little more expensive than the two fifty fee on taxi rides. Nearly a quarter of their sales come from five major cities, so a couple of angry mayors can do a lot of damage. And of course, there's the bad publicity, including the fact that many of the drivers are planning a big multi-city strike tomorrow. Well, that's well-timed. Sometimes it seems like Uber itself isn't that thrilled about the ride-sharing business. On the roadshow, management's been trying to build this thing as more of an Amazon-style company of companies. It's not just a bet on ride-sharing. It's a bet on Uber Eats and Uber Freight, whatever else they Uber. Yet, 80% of Uber's bookings are from ride-sharing. And the vast bulk of remaining 20% comes from food delivery, a business that's already incredibly crowded with competition. If you take a look at some of the dog fights in that business, I mean, look at that grub hub. That thing can't rent except from Adam. So let's just say I'm not super thrilled about Uber, the company. And that's what, without even taking the overhang from the Lyft debacle into account, the one thing Uber has going forward, it's the valuation actually is reasonable versus a lot of these other things that have come public this year. Uh, if it comes public, we'll say at the high end of the range, $50 per share, uh, which is what we're hearing, by the way, then it would be trading at six times this year's sales or five times next year's sales, much cheaper than Pinterest, okay, than Zoom. Now, there's a universe uh, where that is cheap beyond, not for, uh, not for a company with 20% revenue growth, though, although it's a heck of a lot less pricey than what we've seen. And it's cheap, downright cheap, versus IPO darling beyond meat. But beyond me, come on, enough already. That is beyond the pale. How can we stop a stock from going higher? It's making a mockery of the entire market beyond meat. The vegans are bidding it up, for heaven's sake. They are. And the vegetarians. I'm looking at my executive producer. She's a vegetarian, but she's not at fault for the beyond me. It's not, it's, not, it's not you. It's not my kids either. But enough. It's a travesty. You and I both know that. Here's the bottom line. As much as I hate to be a negative Nancy, which happens to be my sister's name, I would pass on Uber unless you can get a piece piece of stock on the actual IPO and then immediately ring the register at the opening. Other than that, though, when you look at the fundamentals, which no one is doing, no one, there's just not much here worth getting excited about. I'd rather take an Uber, which, by the way, you never say take a taxi, right? I'd rather take, that's from Jerry Seinfeld, I'd rather take an Uber then take a share of Uber stock once it opens. Hey, let's go to Goldie, a new name for us. Goldie in New York. Goldie! Hi, how you doing? Goldie, I'm so all I'm fired up. Fan, I don't know. And I'm a new fan of yours, and I nicknamed you Brain Candy. But, um, wow, Brain Candy. Kramer, I want to know your thoughts on Jeremiah. J-M-I-A. Oh, my. You know this something, Goldie? No, down. Goldie, first, thank you so much for calling. But I got to tell you something about, about this stock, J-M-I-A. The analysts today either came out with neutrals or sells. You know, every analyst loves to say bye, bye, bye. But these guys were saying sell, 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 so sell. So, Goldie, sell. I agree with them. All right, keep on driving. I'm going to ask you to pass an Uber unless you can get a piece of the actual IPO. And even then, I would... 
ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. Hey, much more man money here. One in five adults, American, American adults, experience medically diagnosed mental illness at some point in their lives. This is Mental Illness Month, by the way. So I'm going to talk with the CEO of Teladoc to find out how they can help. Now, this market may not be smelling like a rose, particularly after today's decline. But an investment in 1-800-Flowers, how about that? Making you feeling fresh as a daisy. I got the CEO. And oil calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. You know, he can just go and go and then the connections. Uh, yep, He's they, already they, on they, Newell now, yeah. somehow. <laughs> from stock hold, stock hold to sausages, in. to glue, to Newell. Well, you won't buy that at five below, let me tell you that much. <laughs> it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. The stock market was a remarkable tear earlier this year. Well, there's one group that was left behind, healthcare. Now that the market's being pulverized on China worries, could the safe, consistent healthcare cohort be, let's say, close to being ready to make a comeback? I'd like to say ready for a comeback, but you know how hard this market is. Take Teladoc Health, TDOC, one of the world's leading virtual healthcare providers. Regular viewers know I love the idea of telemedicine. And you know what? We've actually been behind this particular company since it was a tiny little startup. At a time when so many of the Democratic presidential candidates are campaigning on a single-payer health care system, in part because they want to rein in out-of-control costs, I think it's worth focusing on the innovative companies that could deliver enormous savings regardless of what happens in Washington. The whole point of telemedicine is that you don't actually need to physically go to the doctor's office. For every single difference, sometimes it's enough to, it's enough to do a video conference. And that ends up costing you and the system a lot less money. Now, Teladoc just reported a solid quarter last week, and while the stock initially got hit off the news, it's been roaring ever since, at least until today's pullback. This one's had a pretty good year, up 24%, but it's still down substantially from its all-time highs last September, including a real downdraft over the course of March and April. So is Teladoc's recent rebound sustainable? Let's check in with Jason Gorovic, the CEO of Teladoc Health, to get a better sense of how the company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Gorovic, welcome back to Man Money. Jim, how, you how are you, Jason? Have a seat. Now, I have to say I'm very proud of what you've accomplished in the time since we started talking to each other. How many lives have you now covered versus then? Oh, well, we have 26 million covered lives uh, paid in the U.S., plus another 10 million who are on a visit fee only. But, you know, now we're a global company with a quarter of our business outside the U.S. And I bet you you could handle twice, even three times that. You're set up for that, aren't you? You know, actually, we test our systems to 10x our current peak volumes. (laughs) Well, that's unbelievable. Okay, so people are going to say, that's not possible, not enough doctors, this is really ridiculous, you're hyping this company. What do we say to that? I think you have to look at our growth trajectory. We launched in 2002. It took us until 2015 to do our first million visits. Two years later in 17, we did a million visits in a single year. Last quarter, we did a million visits in just a quarter. On that growth trajectory, I feel pretty good about our process. Well, you should. Now, you heard my introduction. One of the things that we're about is the capitalist system. We think the capitalist system cures a lot more things than people realize. How come when I hear about the so-called runaway health, I don't hear someone then, then saying in Washington, wait a second, there are capitalist ways to fix the problem. Take a look what Teladoc's doing. Why, aren't you, why don't they talk about you? Well, I think for the first time, the federal government's getting behind virtual care okay. really firmly. So CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, 
is making virtual care part of the Medicare Advantage programs, which cover 20 million Americans. Right. What also I think is most, well, I shouldn't say exciting because it's tough, but this is, uh, you know, National Mental Health Month, okay? And I, I'm passionate about this. We support NAMI on the show. I support NAMI personally. And what I'm trying to understand is how is that even possible? You have done such a great job with psychiatry, with help, with mental health. Well, Jim, I mean, as you point out, more than a half of the people who need mental health care don't get the care that they need. And that's because of access to care issues, stigmas associated with mental health, and quite frankly, cost of care. Virtual care is really the great equalizer when it comes to mental health. And that's why we've doubled our visit volume year over year on this past quarter. And our mental health revenues are growing more than 50% a year. Virtual care is the best alternative for mental health. Right, I've been trying to blow up this stigma. It is really important. It's one of the things I think I, that I, it was one of the most important causes I have. How has this made it so that the stigma is overcome? Well, you know, I'm, in a lot of places in America, I hear from therapists all the time, people won't park their car in front of my office Absolutely. because of this stigma. Absolutely. We talk to PTSD patients who the first time they're interacting with a therapist, They're in the closet, on the phone, with the closet door closed because they can't face the world outside, much less bring themselves to go into a therapist's office. And then they graduate gradually toward a video conference with a therapist and then making their way into support groups. So this is really a way that we can bring care to the patients who need it most and that helps to overcome well, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you said it. Even just for the people who are watching right now, there'll be people out there who say, listen, maybe I can do teledoc and not be embarrassed. Shouldn't be embarrassed to begin with. I get that. Now, I look at, at, at what your company's done, and I say to myself, okay, as, I'm not a millennial, but I'm still worth something. Now, you know, we're not all in the dustbin yet, and we're not in the dumpster. But I would pay to have a service for teledoc, which would just be monitoring my health, so that I don't have to constantly go to the W. All the doctors can get to my age. Hey, it's every four months, Jim. It's every six months. I don't want to go unless there's something's wrong. Teladoc could be the answer. Well, that's true. And now we have a global network of over 50,000 medical experts of all different specialties. And we've said chronic care management and remote monitoring are the next frontier oh, for God. us. You think you can provide it? Yeah, there's no question. There are devices out there that are becoming more ubiquitous whether it's a watch that you wear or a monitor that you wear or a blood glucose monitor or even just a Bluetooth-enabled scale that gives us the data that enables us to interact with you when you really need it and leave you alone when you don't. Okay, so let's say someone doesn't have a health care plan. Can they still go to Teladoc? Yeah, absolutely. We provide care through CVS on a, on a retail basis. Will you still do that after the Aetna merger? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We have relationships both with CVS and with Aetna before okay. the merger and even better after the merger. We also have our behavioral health care resources available on a direct-to-consumer basis. Right? So that's one where people reach out. They don't necessarily need to be right. part of a plan that offers it. And, of course, if their plan does, it makes it that much easier. Good. I want to spend more time on that because it's National Mental Health Month than I would on the numbers. The numbers are there, okay? But I wanted that people hear what you're offering because I think it's really important for America, okay? Really important for the people. And I know international, but... That's what I care about passionately. That's Jason Gorvik, CEO of Teladoc Health. It's a great company, and it's a great stock, but you just heard all the great things that they do for people who are worried about stigma or worried about things that would make it so that they wouldn't normally get the care, and that's a shame. They can change it. They have money's back after the break. It's 
It is time. It's time for the Nightmare Quiz. Let's wrap up for Cold World. Let's see. Say the song. Say the song. Say the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skig? That's over the lightning round. I want to start with George. In New York, George. Hey. George, you're up. It's you. Oh, I, oh hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Um, I'm looking to buy a position on Starbucks, SDUS, but with Trump threatening to raise the tariffs from 10% to 25% and being it's at its 52-week high, should I buy or wait? No, I want you to hold off. I mean, look, the stock was up today. That's a sign of great strength. But I'm not going to tell you to chase anything. But I do think the company's doing well. We interviewed Kevin Johnson recently, the CEO, and he's doing a remarkable job. And I think they're in, they're in fine shape. Let's go to Chris in Pennsylvania. Chris. Hey, Jim. Calling from Philly. Hey, man. What's going on? Big game not tonight. Much. How are you? Big game. Oh, yeah. Hey, got a quick question. What's your take on Penumbra, P-E-N? Oh, man, another medical device company that I'm not that familiar with, so I'm not going to cop it because I know the big ones. We're going to have to come back on that one. Remember, I do like Dexcom, and uh, they're doing terrific, even though people have been shorting. Let's go to William in Ohio. William! Hey, I'm calling about uh, ticker symbol HQY, Health Equity. It's a very interesting company about healthcare, you know, about your savings in healthcare and what they do, and I really like it. I like them to come on because I've been watching the business model, and I think they could be much bigger than they really are. Let's go to Jesse in Pennsylvania. Jesse! Big booyah, Jim. How are you? I am good, thank you. How about you? Awesome. My mom loves the fact that you've been helping me so much with they, oh, you know, thank the stock you, market and everything. Thank Turning you. I've been under a little fans. pressure. That makes me feel good. That makes me feel Dude, good. You are the best. Thank you. Um, Turning Point Brands, TPB. Well, the thing I don't understand is they don't let the general public know that they also sell zigzags. I know, but it's experience. tobacco, man. Come on. You know, I can't recommend tobacco stocks. I just can't do it. I feel the same way about Jewel. I just can't. Life's too short. Sorry. Too many people in my life have died from this stuff. Let's go to Bill in Pennsylvania. Bill! Hi, Jim. What's going I've on, Bill? I've been watching you and listening to you since it should have been... Kramer and Cudlow. Oh, no. He, I lost the coin flip. That's why it was Cudlow and Kramer. But go ahead. <laughs> Recently, uh, I bought some Tilray oh, as, really? as an investment, not as a trade. No, I don't care, man. That ownership structure is all messed up. You got to do canopy with the great ownership structure. Bruce Linden at the mound and Bill Newlands with Constellation Brands. That's the one I want you in. I'm sorry. No ifs, ands, or buts. I'm not done. I want to take Bart in Texas. Bart! Yes. Bart, what's up? Uh, Jim, uh, CVS Drugs. I think CBS has stood the test of time. I thought that last quarter was good. I like what they're doing with that. I know that right now, single payers in vogue. I know that people think the Larry Marlowe has bitten off more than they can chew. I have to tell you, I think CBS at these prices is a bargain. Let's go to Paul in Texas. Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Is my stock a buy the Timken Company? I think Timken represents the best of American manufacturing. That's why we went out there, ball bearings, precision instruments. That's the kind of thing that we make better than anyone else in the world. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. It's always a nice way to say I love you. And when Mother's Day nears... 
the flower business blooms? Should investors beware of thorns? Or can a little flower power give your portfolio a green thumb? You know what's doing an incredible job of hanging in there in a heinous market? 1-800-Flowers. Yeah, the telephone and web-based flower retailer with a stock that's actually been a phenomenal performer over the past decade. And that rally has gone into overdrive lately. With the stock, get this, it's rough, uh, uh, nearly 70% this year, about 67%. Just last week, 1-800-Flowers reported a terrific top and bottom line beat. Management raising their full-year guidance, and the stock had yet another leg higher. So can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Chris McCann. He's the CEO of 1-800-Flowers to learn more about how his company's doing and how it's transformed into an omni-channel powerhouse. Mr. McCann, welcome to Man Money. How are you? Thank Good you. to see you, Chris. Good to see now, you. we had your brother on when the show first started. Mm-hmm. And it was actually, by the way, it was, it was a Mother's Day. And what we were talking about were flowers. I'm wondering whether I'm not misrepresenting the company because now people do more everyday giving even though it is on the eve of Mother's Day, right? Yeah, everyday gifting really drives the engine of our business. It's the birthdays, the anniversaries, get well, just because. Sympathy is a big occasion for us, certainly on the flower side of the business, but also on our gourmet food side of the business as well. I mean, what, so people would do, send baskets to people? Yeah, like, for, for, for to express their condolences. Right. We, you know, our vision is to inspire more human expression, connection, and celebration for all of life's occasions. And certainly sympathy is an important one. I think it is important to point out that you guys started out as, as a flower shop. That's a long range from the right. different holidays and, and bereavement, right? It is. It's a long way. but one store. We started with one store, but really getting to know the customers and how we can serve our customers differently. And that's what shaped us down our strategy of expanding the product line as we've done into the whole gourmet food sector. And it's as personalized as it was when you first started now. It is. We find new ways of using technology to make the experience personal, just like it was when we were in that one store on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. So especially in, in lately, we've innovated with embracing conversational commerce, where we can really use AI capabilities, big data, to make the experience more and more personalized. Okay, so tell me how that would work, because uh, I always am in, you know, I buy flowers for my wife for Mother's Day, but there's a lot of days that I'd like to just send my daughter lives far away. She lives next to your Harry and David store in Bedford. I'd like to send her something just because I, I miss her. What would right. I do that's artificial intelligence that would help me? So you could go on, you could interact, and we have different capabilities. You could go on and interact with Gwen, who's an artificial gift concierge. And we launched Gwen about three years ago, and we keep re- reiterating. Is that with live person? Who do you use? No, we, did, we developed it ourselves. Yourselves, okay. And uh, it's, you know, we have an acronym that we use internally for innovation called ELAC. Engage early, learn, adapt, commercialize. So we're doing that in the field of AI still early, but in conversational commerce, whether we're using voice computing, uh, chat bots on Facebook Messenger. In fact, we're the only company I know of that has applications, either chat or voice applications, on Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Samsung, and Google the five major platforms out there. All right, so we're impressive. trying to keep on that leading edge. All right, so now I've got to ask about, you know, the president put a tariff on tomatoes in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, I happen to live at a house next to where there's just miles of Costco tomatoes. They're great. Uh, 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 what would happen if, if he did flowers? Don't you have some of your source, some of your flowers in South America and in Central America? Sure. Most of the product comes from South America, Colombia, Ecuador. A lot is grown domestically, though, especially in the California region. And that's increased over the last 10 years or so. So we're glad to see that. But as we look at the tariffs, it's discussions that are going on, especially the tariffs with China. Right. Fortunately, we, they've impacted our company very little. Okay. Now, if they go from 10 to 25 percent, it'll impact more. But that's our job to mitigate that and figure out ways to mitigate that. And we will. 
My bigger concern, though, is what that does to the consumer and consumer confidence right. as all of this trade war talks go on and on. Now, you do have a seasonal period of, of where there's picking, where you have actual uh, migrant workers, is it? Sure. And that's usually been a, a bump to your expenses, but actually your expense control this year has been rather amazing. Yeah, expense control, especially in our gourmet food business and our fiscal Q2, which is calendar Q4, which is, was tremendous. Not so much on the labor side, but really how we manage the transportation cost. In the past year or two, transportation costs caught everybody yeah. by surprise. But we were able to actually lower our per unit shipping costs this past holiday season. We were thrilled with that. Oh, and fantastic. we see that continuing. We're huge believers in small to medium-sized business and companies that can do that. Uh, and we're not anti-Amazon, but there is a, a tension between the two. Where do you guys, how do you guys help small and medium-sized business? Well, first of all, if you look at the floral side of the business, uh, we work with BloomNet. is a network of right. about five to 6,000 florists around the country who give us great capabilities, creativity, artistry, delivery capability, same-day delivery capability. And then our job is to, to develop products and services that we sell to them to make them more competitive in their local markets. And uh, let's just finish with Mother's Day. It is okay. a big day. What should people do? They have to get their orders in early. Are you guys able to get them in late for the thoughtless people out there? Well, for those thoughtless people, we can take care of them. But I don't really encourage that. Uh, we can take probably orders right up until Sunday morning if needed. But really, if it's, it's Mother's Day, you don't want to wait. You know what mother's guilt can do to you. We can right. take care of it. And we can take care of it easily. All right. Should my kids uh, be looking for something for Father's Day for me? I think Father's Day is something for you Stockyard. from Harry and David. Stockyard steaks. <laughs> Perfect, Jim. Well, you, a perfect you guys have just done a remarkable job. And I know you bought Harry and David out of bankruptcy 2014. That was a brilliant, brilliant purchase. You've made many good moves. That's Chris McCam, 1-800-Flower, CEO, FLWS, one of the best performers in the market. Mad Bunny's back in for break. Maybe it's just a gauntlet we have to get through, a one-two punch of hoping that the Uber deal does well and getting used to the idea that we're going to have new tariffs. So if the president walks back the new tariffs, we get an explosion up, which is why I think that we're pretty much done the point of selling. But I cannot bless lots of buying here yet. Too difficult, too complex. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.